How did Jesus respond to people? You know, that's, for me, uh, the most important thing um, in my life at this stage. It has been for many years, but, you know, the one thing that I want to do is just uh, touch people in, in, uh, in a personal level, you know. As we've come to Bethel, one of the beautiful things that has really uh, happened to us over the years is we've been able to form some uh, loving relationships. And um, before I go any further, it's good to see Phil over there. You've lost so much weight, I couldn't see you, but it's good to see you. I do see you, and I love having you here. Uh, this uh, Phil and Dale right over there. Uh, and last week, I didn't realize you were here and uh, so I would have said something, but today I'm saying something because we love you and are so glad. You've been through uh, a challenge, and the Lord has blessed us to have you here today as he's blessed you to be here. So good to have all of you. We're praying for a number of you. There are people with lingering uh, issues, cancers, uh, other, uh, other physical issues, and uh, we pray for those in our church that are afflicted and suffering. So and we, we lovingly lift you. But we're just grateful for the relationships that we formed with people. It's always the treasure of ministry for us is to be able to uh, build relationships with people. I'd much rather do that than anything else uh, because that's what, you know, Jesus did, right? He was a relationship guy. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but in his humanity, he was a person who built relationships. Uh, and he invested in people. Uh, you know, most of the time, Jesus did not even address or teach his followers in the, in the temple, his his immediate followers. But he he in, he uh, invested in them. He taught them. Uh, he allowed them to travel with him, and he taught them in life experiences. He took them out in ministry. And uh, he instructed them. He revealed things to them that they didn't understand. Uh, but he revealed to them things that he didn't reveal to others. And God blessed and worked in their lives. And so uh, you'll always be in our hearts. You know, you'll always have a place there. And certainly we're praying. And I'm going to just say today, uh, you really need to pray, be praying about God's plan for Bethel. And I don't want to get this off in a million ways, but I just want to say this morning, uh, be praying for this fellowship sincerely. And I want you to do your best, everyone here, to say, Lord, we're, we're believing together and we know that you have a perfect plan. And whatever you and whoever you establish, we will love and we will support and we will stand with because we believe uh, that the world needs for the church to be unified in Christ. You know, someone into whom vision will be sown and shared and uh, your hearts will be ready and excited to embrace what it is that God has uh, for this uh, great uh, church. So anyhow, uh, Luke chapter 19, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because uh, he is also a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, you know, I don't know, uh, this morning, uh, as you think about that scripture, we'll talk about a number of others, but the whole mission of Jesus was to, was a restorative healing, redemptive presence in the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. You know, that was his purpose, right? Jesus came not to condemn but to save. 
And uh, there's condemnation when man rejects the Lord, but that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was to cast a broad net to draw people in uh, to salvation. And uh, so today, we're the, we are the continuation of Jesus' ministry. And if we're functioning in the continuation of what Jesus came to do, then we are, rede- we are redemptive, we are compassionate, we, are, we, are, we empathize where we have the opportunity to do so because of the life experiences that the Lord has brought us through. We can sympathize with people. We can minister in practical ways to those who need the Lord. Because here's the thing, if we fail to minister to those outside the church and those outside of faith, then we are, we're not fully carrying out the ministry of Christ as we have been called to do and filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to do. And uh, so, you know, the whole reason that we live really in a nutshell is to share Jesus Christ with other people because we only get one lifetime to do it. And, uh, you know, as time goes by and it flies by pretty quickly, uh, those opportunities are behind us. There's people whom we have engaged in the past that we'll never see again. We've seen them once or twice or a thousand times, but we may never see them again, never talk to them again. And so we can't really do much about that except for pray for those that we have had the opportunity and maybe have taken advantage of the opportunity, and maybe we didn't. But we pray for them, that God would move. And now today's the day where we determine whether or not or recommit ourselves to really touching people outside of Christ. Because uh, for me, when I think about that, if I'm not doing that, I'm really, what am I doing? If I'm not really looking at the fields and engaging the harvest that God said was plentiful, but the workers are few, if I'm not engaging the harvest, which is plentiful, then what am I doing? What am I doing with that which the Lord has entrusted to me, the calling that God has placed upon my life? Someone has, well, a few have said to me, oh, so you're retiring. You know, I'm not, I'm not old enough to retire yet. I'm going to tell you this. The only thing I'm saying is that I am going to continue to be engaged in God's field. And however that plays out, whatever that looks like, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. And so I'm not retiring. I don't believe you ever retire from serving the Lord. You know, the only way you retire is when they put you in the ground. And then you're, then you're retired. But until you draw your last breath, you're not retired. There is no retirement program for those who serve the Lord. You live for the Lord from the day you're born again until the day you die. And so you and I need to get on with it. Get on with the Lord's business and to do what God has called us to do. If Bethel is going to thrive, then the people of Bethel have to be in the fields that are ripened unto harvest. Jesus, you know, we think nobody wants Jesus. That could could never be a bigger lie than that. Because there are people who know they need something, they just don't realize what it is. And they're searching for something to fill the void in their lives. And they try to re-identify themselves in some form or fashion because they're after something that the world is never going to be able to give them. 
And the only people on the planet who can truly share with people what it is they need is the church. And when I say need, I'm talking about the the need for internal peace and eternal salvation. You are the only ones. The world is depending on you and I. And whether or not the world around us dies without ever knowing that Jesus Christ can, can truly redeem and save and fill and, re, and, and, reach, and recharge and renew and revitalize and resurrect, it will be on you and I. Because we are called by God to be witnesses of his love. You know, Jesus had gone through Jericho and Jericho, an ancient and important city, yeah, as he went through that city on his way to Jerusalem, uh, it seems that there was a divine appointment set up in which Jesus would encounter a man named Zacchaeus. You know, as we think about Zacchaeus, he was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. That means that, you know, he had authority above the average tax collectors. He, he may have been a regional manager of sorts or had authority. And, and, and the bottom line is tax collectors were hated by the Jews because they primarily uh, were people who exploited other people. You know, the tax collectors exploited people, they took from people, and when they, when they went forth, they had the liberty of, of inflating the taxes for their own personal gain as they worked on behalf of the Roman authorities. It was known as tax farming. The collector made his profit on whatever extra he could get away with charging his victims. And this man had done that. This man was criminal This man was an exploiter of others. He was someone who truly had earned the contempt of people. He had earned that. He worked hard to gain that, and he earned the contempt that people showed him. And the interesting thing is that Zacchaeus' name means pure one. How ironic is that? You know, there are all these ironies in life, right, that take take on. Appearances can be ironic, Histories can be ironic to the truth of the matter that people are are very much disconnected and sometimes broken when it looks like everything should be structurally ordered for them. And, you know, this man was a, he was a um, organized thief. He took from people. He exploited people. He didn't care about people at some point in his life because he cheated them uh, with, uh, with, at great extent. But something happened, and I thank God for that one statement. How many of you are here today because something happened? Something happened. There was, a, there was something that happened. There was a moment in life for you in which something happened that would redirect your whole life, would awaken you to a purpose that was not simply what you had planned to live and to be, but Jesus came into your life and something happened. How many here today know that something has happened that has changed your life? You know, and that's what was about to happen in this man's life. And, you know, I've read different commentaries and said, some will say, well, you know, we can't say that he had a true conversion experience. You know, I tend to believe that he did. Because I believe this man had come to a place as he had crawled up in that tree, a little man. You never hear that song? Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? He crawled up in that sycamore tree. 
And he did so so he could gain a better vantage of Jesus whom he had heard a lot about. You know, there are a lot of people who are looking to see Jesus today. And we don't know that sometimes because, you know, how do we know what's going on in our neighbors' lives, in our coworkers' lives, in the people's lives that we meet? How do we know that they're not looking at us to see evidence of the Christ that they have been told, at least in person or maybe at a distance, can change their lives? And, you know, when we think about that, there are a lot of people that we have an opportunity to reach. You know, the world would say being a Christian isn't a popular thing today. But let me suggest something to you. Uh, Being a Christian has never been a popular thing in this world. But the church has still thrived. Some of the greatest seasons of growth in the church have come when the greatest adversities and persecutions of the church were undertaken. When we think about Acts 8, 1-8 and Acts 8-1, if you look at those two scriptures, it's kind of interesting because they're told that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of this earth. And then in Acts 8-1, we see that there, there was a scattering, a dispersion of believers. You know, those who were in Jerusalem were scattered And they, you know, it really was a fulfillment of what Jesus told them would happen, that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth because that scattering actually facilitated that. The persecution that had come on the church had facilitated the church's uh, 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 um, mission. That they went forth as God said they would. And it says, and they went, everywhere they went, they went preaching. You know, I think God wants the church to get out there. You know, this is a wonderful thing. But people aren't going to come to church because we exist. They're going to come to Christ because they realize that he exists. And they will find that truth in you and I because, you know, most people out there aren't clamoring to hear a, 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 a sermon. If they were, they would be here, right? They're not clamoring to hear good worship music. What they are longing and looking for is something to make sense in the chaos of life. Something to satis- truly satisfy Where everything else has fallen short. How many of you know that we are ambassadors of the, of the, of the saving power of Jesus Christ? That we are ambassadors. Every one of us are ambassadors of Christ. And the word says that God is making his appeal through us. God is calling out to the world through you. So that means in order to fully facilitate that, we're saying, Lord, I'm willing, I'm going out. You know, when we think about this scripture, we see Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus went to his home, and Jesus did what all of us are really called to do, and that is to engage people who are sinners. We're not to live an insular life. We're not to say, you know, we're all, oh, I don't want to become like them. Well, you don't have to become like them if, if you walk with Jesus and you walk with Jesus and invite them to walk with you. 
Because Jesus is the distinction, he's the protection, he's the covering when we're out and about in ministry. It's not our religious beliefs, it's not, our, it's not the things that we have conjured in our minds, it's the word of God, it's the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. you got to be a fisher of men. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He didn't say, I would make you keepers of the aquarium. He said, I will make you fishers of men. You know, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar had said, you know, rather than uh, being fishers of men, we have become keepers of the aquarium. And I believe in a large part that's true. Because the one part of our, our service unto the Lord involves us being active out in the fields and being up front about why we believe what we believe and love the way we love with those who have no idea that there is really truly one who can help us to understand who we are and why we've been placed on this earth. Jesus didn't come to execute judgment, John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. How many here know that you're saved today? You know, I, I, I'm going to, when I leave here, Robin and I are going to speak to people who a lot of them have been in church their whole lives, but some of them have never heard that you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why God sent us there. Because we tell them that every week. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how, what your level of participation is. You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God is personal, and he's loving, and he's kind, and he wants to have a personal, intimate, life-changing relationship with you. And I, that's a breakthrough for me. I love that. You know, and I've shared this before. It's incredible how many people are flocking to hear that truth. And I mean, they are, they are filling room to the capacity, spilling over into another room, across the hall so that they can hear the gospel. And I want to say, you know, it's a different field because, you know, you get people who are at the last stages of life and they're, you know, they've done things a certain way their whole lifetime and the Holy Spirit says, it's still not too late for me to do a work here. And no, no segment or demographic of people in the world are beyond the grace of God. No matter how, uh, how self-righteous or how, how, sel- how, 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 no matter how evil, and self-righteousness is probably evil too, but you understand something, no one's beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so why would we shorten our nets because we believe certain people he will never come to Jesus? We need bigger nets. And we need not only to mend those nets, but we need to get those nets out there. You don't need to net, mend nets if you're not using them. And you know, there are certain things in life that we don't really need the refreshment or the, you know, God refresh us. And God says, I've been refreshing you. Now get out. Get out into the world. Get out among others who don't know me. Get out there. Take this out to them. The, you know, the clock is ticking and time is getting closer and closer to the end. And I believe I am one. You say, well, what's your, what's your eschatology? My eschatology is this, that Jesus is coming again. 
And I don't rightly know exactly when. In fact, I don't know when at all. But I know every day of my life, I need to live my life as though He may come today. Are we living with that kind of urgency? Are we invested in the people outside of the church with that kind of urgency today? Jesus talked about three lost things, and I'm going to try to speed preach. Three lost things. He talked about a lost sheep, right? And we think about that lost sheep. No creature would, would stray more easily than a sheep. None is more heedless, and sometimes uh, we don't realize how incapable sheep are of protecting themselves and become vulnerable uh, very easily to the predators. And Jesus said that a shepherd would leave the 99, and you say, well, isn't that irresponsible? Uh, No, because Jesus said it. And I think he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't saying neglect the 99. He just said there was a special emphasis on finding the one. Getting that one because of the value of one. Here's the thing. We talk about winning the world, but can we see the value of one? The one in your life, the one in your neighborhood, the one in your workplace or your school or every day. How many of us see the value of one? Because if you really think about it, if everybody won one, your church doubles in size. Whether they come here or go somewhere else, everyone that wins one, that's, a, that's the kind of math that God's into. The parable of a lost coin, you know, there were coins, a set of coins that were, were, were uh, put together, linked together, and often worn on the head uh, as a... Uh, you know, to present uh, that someone was married. And if you lost one, that set of 10 was reduced and, and it was incomplete. And so a diligent search would be made to find the one. And when it was found, there was great rejoicing. And then the prodigal son, that lost son. And you know, probably most families in the world can identify with this because someone in our families are, is lost. Someone we know, someone we care for is away from the Lord today. And when you go out looking for fulfillment in the world, you find out that the world will rob you, it will deplete you, it will use you, abuse you, and leave you destitute. The world can't satisfy what Jesus came to give to everyone freely. How many of us, and I say this for me, how many of us live redemptively? How many of us are conscious of the lostness of those around us? You know, it would be easy for me to condemn the world, but in so doing, you know, I would probably be insulting the grace of God because we would somehow believe that the grace of God is inadequate to save the worst of those that we see. Because in our minds, our redemption, the, the redemptiveness of our thinking is not big enough. The grace of God has a secondary role, a lesser place in how we relate to people. And we find ourselves being more judges than ambassadors. Somehow we have become confused with the idea that it's our calling in this day that we live to judge the lost. You and I are not called to judge the lost. We're not called to be the jury, and we certainly are not called to be the executioner. 
We are ambassadors of grace. We preach the gospel. We live the gospel. We live Jesus. How many know we, you know, we can, there are, there are some people who can come along and they, they say they're going to come and help with the project, but all they do is tell you what's wrong, but never provide insight as to how it can be fixed. And I don't want to be that guy. I already know what changes people's lives. How many of you are here today and you know it's because of the grace of God? And, you know, honestly, there's a world out there that's living, and the only difference between they and us here today is that they have not experienced the grace of God that changes a person's life. You could put the world in this room with us, and there'd be no distinction between us physically in most cases, and they would be among us, and they would represent the world we live in. But the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people who just have never been introduced to the grace of God. We're so worried that the grace of God may be too extensive to support truth. And that's not true. Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. You understand that? An inseparable an inseparable uh, infusion, if you want to call that, that's the only word, infusion, a fusion of grace and truth, that Jesus was fully grace, fully truth, because without the grace of God, you know, all we would, when we would hit people with the truth, all it would do would be to condemn them, because no one can live according to the truth if they have not been, have not received the grace of God. Because then there becomes no dis- difference between the Old Testament law and Christianity today. The substitute becomes legalism. The world's not going to be won by that. He did not come to take, but he came to give. Jesus was one who didn't come to be served, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm going to close this part because I, I have enough to continue this Next week, God, God bless you. I won't give you two in one week today, but I will finish up here. Because it's Mother's Day, and we've got to beat those Baptist uh, mothers. Seriously, I'm getting sick and tired of the Methodists getting in there before we do. We're going to start showing them, right? But anyhow, Jesus came. I just heard... Um, Mm, who did I just hear? Terry. Where are you? I heard a laugh from Terry. Where? Is that you, Terry? I heard Terry's laugh, and it's distinct, and I just feast on it. But anyhow, Jesus came to give. This is what Jesus didn't come to take. Church should not be a place that exhaust people by demanding things of them which God didn't demand of us. You know, we don't carry the weight of this thing. Jesus said he would walk with us. That's a beautiful thing. People, we're afraid of grace because we think, well, people are going to get away with stuff. I'm not talking about grace that is simply a license to live a sloppy life. I'm talking about grace that transforms Grace that invades the darkness and the brokenness and the hopelessness. 
and those who can't forgive themselves for things that they have done in their lifetime. Mistakes that have been made. Grace visits mercy, where mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what I want God to do in my life. I want mercy to triumph over judgment. Here we go. We close. Tammy, you want to come? This is going to give a lot of people hope if you come up here. Amen. Thank you. Jesus came not to take but to give. He came to give peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus came to give resurrection hope. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall what? Never die. Jesus came to give justification. There's nothing in me that justifies the sinful nature that I have been delivered from through Jesus Christ. I'm not good enough, and that's one thing I tell people every week when I go, you can never be good enough. Don't count on the scales. Hopefully, uh, more good outweighing the bad when you stand before God, because in reality, if Jesus isn't the reason that you're secure in your salvation, the scales are not your friend. How many know they're not anyhow? I go to the doctor, I say, I'm not getting on that. I hate that. I hate scales. I think they are an abomination. Anybody else? I think scales are demonic tools and that uh, just should not exist. Especially when you get on and they say one person at a time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I say that for me, not for you. Justification. He came to bring justification The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I got to say this to you today because, you know, there are people who come to church regularly who are carrying guilt from something they've done in the past. And kind of, you know, it's discreetly tucked away. But it, you know, discernment shows, it reveals, it's revealed too. And God doesn't want you to live that anymore. God wants you to say, you know, Jesus came to save complete. I don't believe in partial salvation. Amen. Jesus said when he went to Zacchaeus's home and Zacchaeus had celebrated his uh, arrival, he said, I'll give back what four times, whatever I've taken. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make restitution for what I've done. And, um, Jesus said today, salvation has come to this house. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to give abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He came to give spiritual life. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I love this when Jesus came to bring advocacy for those who were condemned. He says, who condemns you? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The woman taken in adultery. That's one of the, I, I love that story and I hate that story. 
because there were a lot of lying, snaky men who were exploiting a woman in their own self-righteousness. And Jesus comes and he says, I don't condemn you. Come on, stand with me a minute. God, Jesus says this to you today, and he wants the world to hear this. Jesus can lift the condemnation off of you, and he doesn't give us a license to go out and to continue to live in sin because that is a mischaracterization of grace. Grace brings and invites transformation. But he says, I don't condemn you anymore. And I want to say to you as a church, if people came into this gathering today, would they know that you are not living a life under condemnation anymore? Because, you know, they'd come into church and, you know, I, I've been in churches and I'm not here to condemn other churches. I'm just saying I, it, was scarcely, uh, it was scarcely discernible to me whether I was at a funeral or a church service. No celebration, no focusing on the power of God and the resurrection and the love of Christ, just a formality, let's do this, you know, bump, 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 bump. Man, you know, this place needs, we, we want to be charged with uh, the Holy Spirit, right? We come in, we don't have to be prompted to worship, we're ready to go. Because you know what, uh, Jesus, uh, there was a woman who worshipped at his feet, washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And you know, something that's always struck with me is that uh, she's included in the eternal record of God's word forever. And you know, there are a lot of people who did a lot of things. You know, the woman who brought her last few coins and placed them in the offering. She's in the eternal record forever while others weren't mentioned. The heavy hitters. You know, the heavy hitters. I got to tell you, the heavy hitter and that Jesus complimented was the woman who gave everything, not the one who gave a truckload, but it was only a small portion of what they could have done. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus came to give freedom. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He came to bring that truth. He brings acknowledgement. Remember, he said to uh, Nathaniel, he says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus sees individuals. He saw, who did we talk about today, Ram? Zacchaeus, up in the tree. He saw Zacchaeus in the tree. He saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, right? Jesus cares about individuals. And church, that's where it begins. I mean, you know, you and I can go out and say, hey, we've been called to win the whole world. No, Jesus says uh, the mission, the fields, they're white and ripened under harvest. That means the people in your sphere of influence in your life. He came to give light, his life. He said two times in John 10 and two other times in John 13 that he came to lay his life down. Nobody took it from him. last scripture I'll read here it says then came to Jesus then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion you know all these demonic forces at work in wrecking this man's life who lived among the tombs 
He was seated and clothed and in his right mind. That's what Jesus does. He brings order to disorder. He brings joy where there has been great tragedy and sorrow. Father, this morning, if there be anyone in this house who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, this is not a religious routine. It's not just some kind of exercise, Lord God, that we do. Uh, Lord, it's, it's just recognizing that we are here on this earth. And there are a lot of people, a lot of things that would tell us that we are something that we are not. And we believe the lies of the enemy who tells us that we are failures, that we are marked and marred by sin, that we've done things that we'll never, ever, ever be able, we'll never be able to outwalk the the cloud of guilt and and self-condemnation. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus said, "I I want to drop those chains from your life. I want you to be free. Come on now. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to live where you've been living or existing. He wants you to live in the freedom and the joy. Of knowing that you were created by God. And the God who created you loved you so much that on your worst day, what Jesus had done 2,000 years ago was done to make advocacy for you on your worst day, to make atonement and forgiveness and justification and sanctification possible and real. Lord, we pray this morning that we give our hearts to you, Lord. We give the mess to you. All you say is give me the mess and give me your life and I'll I'll do something in your life that religion can't do, the world can't supply. But I can change you, and it can start in a moment's time, that you will become a new creation, a new creature. The old things will have passed away, and behold, all things will become new as you grow. You grow into your identity in Christ and into the life that he gives you. You will find what you could never find anywhere else. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. I ask your forgiveness and I give you all of my guilty past and I say, Lord, I give this to you and I thank you today for taking my past and giving me a future. In Jesus' name, I receive that. You know, this morning, just as we we get ready here, just in a moment to close, if you want to come, the altars are always open. Uh, But I want to read you what I had written to mothers because I I felt like we're living in a day where uh, mothers are not appreciated like they should be. Women are demeaned in many ways. And God is not a demeaning God. God is a God who brings dignity and raises us up into what we were created to be. We're, all, we're done with it. I want to read this to you. And then, Tammy, if you would play uh, uh, some, something as you feel led to do uh, and dismiss. It says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. 
Throughout the history of the church, women have played a very significant role. They are never secondary in what God is doing, even when the evidence of their involvement and influence is borne out in the lives of others, which is reflective of an incredible role in the advancement of what God has purposed to do through women. In the context of Scripture, above, in the Scriptures above, it is noted that a young man's faith, his life, and instrumentality in the church would, could be directly linked to the influence of two women who were very foundational, who were very much part of a earthly life development. Their influence was foundational to who Timothy would uh, become as a man. Was it Timothy or Titus? Timothy, I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, when women are beautifully and distinctly made according to the design of the Heavenly Father, they have been endowed with certain sensibilities and feminine traits that are not the mark of weakness, but divine design. Believing women are foundational in the nurturing and mentoring of the young. It is both the early and ongoing influence of women in God's design that make for the strength of the following generations. God in his eternal record of scripture noted the influence of a godly mother and grandmother in the life of a servant of God. If it be important enough for God to note, it is important that we as the church never dismiss or obscure the role of godly women in the designs of the Father in heaven. We celebrate and should do so daily the gift of godly women and mothers who are second to none in their vital influence upon the young and those of all ages. Thank you, Lord, for mothers and for all women. You have given the human race a wonderful gift. So we celebrate your mothers and women, and uh, you uh, play a primary role. You're not an accessory in relationship. You are a vital part of one flesh designed by God. So we certainly wish all of you moms a, a very happy Mother's Day. And for those of you who have no children, uh, you know, I heard uh, Tammy say this morning uh, when she referenced uh, mothers and spiritual mothers, you can be a mothering influence to a young person, a child, and, in, and invest and give to them things that are far greater than what could merely be given in a natural relationship. God loves you, and God has a great plan for all women. So, Tammy, would you lead us in playing? Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.